A Boeing 707 is flying from London to Zurich when something unexpected happens. What caused the ultimate destruction of this jet airliner? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Hey. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Oh, God. Welcome back to the Disaster Podcast that has more to do with us being a disaster. <laughs> <actual> disaster. <laughs> At this point, let me tell you, Ooh, it's all right. We... At least okay. we've been relatively on schedule for like over a month now. I know. <laughs> if only your cruise at DIA could be on schedule. Oh, don't even go there. <laughs> Too far. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hot far. topic right now. I yeah. reserve the right to go too far. <laughs> Fair enough. Do we have a new patron? No, I don't think so. Not since the last time. Are you sure? No. no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're asking me, me, who hasn't had like a second to think? I would like the record to show the last time I checked our podcast email was like oh, three Rich weeks ago. Rich rejoined. Oh, hi, Rich. Hi, Rich. Hey, Rich. He has commented on many things. Oh yes. my gosh, I miss when what Rich with would us com- having done some of his episodes lately. I miss when Rich would comment on like every platform that we have. So thank you, Rich. I appreciate. Yes, you. we know when you're listening. He also <laughs> did that the other day because he yeah, was he like, did. I, I, he was like, I gave you a suggestion and you never did it, and then he was like, never mind, you did it two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know when you're listening because it it just. That just Many of comments starts happening. Yet. Yeah. No one else is bombed. <laughs> okay. What? Comment on our social coordinator's posts. There are many of them. Oh, wait, I have a DM. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. it from Rich? Yeah. For the Atlas Airplane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, yeah. we already covered it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> already, it's already done, Rich. We already done, did covered. You're no, no one else has the reputation of like engagement bombing us on every platform the way Rich does. Nope. <laughs> I appreciate it. He's the best. Thanks, Rich. I mean, everybody's the best. Thank you for listening. Please don't go away. Please don't go away. (laughs) We like you. Please don't leave. Feel free to engage more. Yes. Also, make sure you sign up for the newsletter because I work very hard on those. And I really do. And you definitely issue them on time. I actually do 99% of the time. <laughs> yes. Some, sometimes they're a few days late because I realized too late that yeah, they were supposed to go out okay. that day and I hadn't worked on it. That's okay. They don't take me very long to do. No. But you should do that because it makes me happy when people want to read the stuff I write, even though I suck at writing because I have a disability, but it's fine. That's okay. Bob Heth sent in his answers, he, so I know that does, we will be covering Were they the right answers? I don't know. When do uh, we need to do trivia? Mostly? When do we need to do trivia answers? Is it next week? I think it's next week. I'm probably next Christy week. for that. Do, 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 do. No, it's this week. Okay. Oh, so we'll answer trivia questions at the end of this episode. Okay. I'm Here sorry for yelling. Jeebus. You almost made that peak. That never happens. Not with these. Okay. With that, you should also check out Patreon and getting ducks and submitting stories and submitting listener questions. Yeah. I think that's it. And please don't spam our story box as spam. Yeah, there's, so the people who do it don't listen to the podcast, but there's people who've yeah, been know. like, we can, like, improve your website. And I was like, that's not what this is for. Yeah, Please they're, stop doing that. They're, they're getting so spammy with that kind of thing 
it's getting annoying. Like, they, it mostly goes to our junk box, and yes. I don't care. But now they're, like, infesting. They found our website, literally, and yeah. they found a form where they can fill things in, and they literally went in and put in your website, your website, your website, your website, your website, and then in the description they wrote out, here's all the things wrong with your website. Let me help. And I'm like, please don't use our story form for that, you moron. This is why I don't read our That's email. not going to get my attention. That's just going to make me hate you more. This is why I don't read our email. I just delete them. Yeah. If you want me to read an email, you need to say it. Otherwise, I'm not going to look at it. Me and I <laughs> usually see the emails first. Yeah. Also, congratulations to Bob for getting everything correct on the trivia question. We will Mo- cover them at the end. Mostly. Not yeah. completely. I mean, he was close. Mostly. It's I, basically correct. I know we had other answers. Okay, to you. Know? We had other if answers. If you round up, my dude. An entire inch? No, you're... Never mind. We'll, we'll answer this later. <laughs> we, okay. Anyways, do we have other people answer as well? I, I think, think there we was. Had one other person. I think Kaylin answered. Kay- as, yes, as our friend Kaylin answered. Yes. Anywho. No, Tracy did too, and she oh, said yes. I was four foot 11. <laughs> I am not four foot 11. I appreciate you realizing I'm short, but I'm not quite that short. Cool. We'll get to, all th- to the rest of the answers later. Okay. What are we covering today, Nick? Today. We are covering BOAC Flight 712. Thanks, to Thank you to Helen again. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> this accident occurred on April the 8th of 1968. So pretty old. It's, it's been a minute. It's old. It's old. This is a Boeing 707-465 with the tail number Golf-Alpha Romeo Whiskey Echo. What the heck was a 465? It's just the longer version of the 707. Oh, okay. This is a flight from London Heathrow to Zurich to Singapore to Sydney, Australia. It is still operated. Yes, it is. As Heathrow to Zurich. Yes, it is. And that's the only leg we're talking about. It's the first one. Okay. I don't know why they didn't retire the number. They should have. Well, back then, like, I don't know. It was it was like a newer thing to retire flight numbers. Yes. Do does BOAC still exist? Nope. Though they still, they they were completely eaten by British Airways. Okay. But they do, as of today, still have a BOAC plane. Kind of. It's it's painted in the colors. It's painted in the colors. It is not in operation and it's due to maybe be scrapped in the next few months. That's why I said as of today. Right. (laughs) Put it in a museum. Yeah, that's what everybody wants. They made a series of these historic colors in 2019, mind you. They painted a bunch of 747-400s in... All their predecessor colors, be it old British Airways colors or BOAC, there was a couple others, BEA. There was a few different colors that they had painted these older airplanes. And then, of course, they stopped flying them in 2020 all of a sudden. And I then wonder why. They all, yeah, and they decided never to bring back the 747. And so they've all been sitting in different storage facilities, some to go to museums, some to be scrapped. And unfortunately, this is one of this the week is going to be scrapped. This week, it was announced that the BOAC bird might be scrapped and of course it was all over my page because not only am i an av geek that has crap like that all over my page but i happen to be looking at boac this week so yes this is true so the algorithm was in my favor for those that need a quick history lesson british airways has not existed throughout all of aviation history as contrary to what they would like you to believe because they claim that they're a very old airline, but British Airways is actually not a very old airline. The airlines that existed prior to it that eventually became British British Airways were. Doesn't the same go for Qantas? Yes. Kind of, yes. Because Qantas, it's been mostly Qantas, but there was like 
two or three small companies yes. before Qantas was Qantas. This is why it's such a contested thing because Avianca still claims to be the oldest airline in the world, and they actually so does were, KLM. Right, they actually both were those names back way back when. That's why. So that they kind of still kind of hold that lead technically. But British Airways also came from some very old airlines like BOAC. So that's a brief history lesson. British Airways was actually a conglomerate of like four different airlines. I don't remember, but it was a handful of different British airlines and the government was like, okay, we need less British airlines. Can you remind <laughs> everyone who we've covered one BOAC flight before, mm -hmm. but can you remind them what that stands for? It's British Overseas Airways company? Corporation or oh, company or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. But their IATA code was still BA. BA. So yep. this is BA Flight 712. And they used the Speedbird. Yep. That is time. where the British Airways Speedbird came from, was BOAC. Yes. And it comes from the Speedbird on their tail. Anyways. The captain for this flight was Cliff Taylor. He was 47 years old. At the time, he had 14,878 hours total. Oh, boy. Quite a bit of hours. Of which, 1,555 were on the 707. So a decent amount. First officer was John Hutchinson. He was 32 years old. At the time, he had 5,496 hours total. Of which, 2,829 hours were on the type. So he actually had more hours, almost double, yeah. on the 707. But he was far less experienced overall. The second officer, I don't have a name for, was only mentioned in the crew section. I know nothing about this person in the story. It does not come up at all. Flight engineer? Nope, we'll get there. There is a flight engineer. Oh, there was okay. a second officer. Nope, I know what you're thinking. Nope, the second officer doesn't come up in the story at all, but did exist. Doesn't have a name. Was 30 okay. years old, had 4,120 hours at the, total, at the time total, of which 680 were on the 707. So this person was... Pretty experienced overall, but not on the 707. The flight engineer was Thomas Hicks. He was 35 years old at the time. He had 6,436 hours total, of which just 191 were on the 707. So a lot of hours overall, but not a lot on the 707. And then there was a check pilot. Jesus. Yes. The cockpit was full. <laughs> the cockpit was very full. There was a check pilot. His name was Jeffrey Moss. He was 50 years old. At the time, he had 12,957 hours total, of which 3,185 were on the 707. So he had the most hours on the 707 out of all of the crew, but less hours than the captain. So, okay, there's a captain, there's a first officer, mm -hmm. there's a flight engineer, there's a second officer, and there's a check pilot. Yes. Correct. So there's five people in the cockpit. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. Don't oh, worry, no. that, that isn't necessarily what you're going to get mad about, though. You will. There is some. There is some Miranda gets mad at history in this one. Oh, there's de Miranda's going to get mad at history. She's going to get ragey later on. I will say this. Yes, that's a lot of people in the cockpit. I don't. This is before CRM. Yes, correct. And I don't necessarily, in my opinion, from everything I understand about the accident, I don't believe that the crew's actions have anything to do with the way things played out. So. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean they couldn't have done things better. <laughs> so that's a little bit of foreshadowing. I'll take that. But it is a lot of freaking people in the cockpit. At Heathrow, 116 passengers and a whopping 11 crew members boarded the flight. 11 crew for 116 passengers. That is a 
vastly high ratio. Yeah, that's a lot of crew. I mean, you have to remember that five of those are, are in, the, in cockpit. the cockpit. So there's six. Flight that attendants. still leaves six flight attendants, which is insane. On I have I fly 137 seat jets in and out of Denver. You don't fly them. No, but no. The, the point is we, the we fly. The company does. Yes, my company flies 137 seat jets in and out of Denver and we have three. So. Well, okay, but I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, like you go from, there was still this aura of like stewardesses being there for, to serve yes, passengers well, rather than safety things. Like, And this is still a little bit, we're kind of, this is coming of the jet age. Yes. And so this was still a little bit more of the luxury that was flight at the time. So it was glamorous. It was luxurious. It was a very expensive endeavor. Yes. And the seats were much larger, much more comfortable throughout the entire airplane. There wasn't necessarily like ultra comfortable business and very uncomfortable economy. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't really exist yet. And so that's why a 707, which today would probably hold the better part of almost 250 people if you handed it to an airline like Frontier. They only had 116 passengers on board. <laughs> I, okay. So I, I know we're kind of getting a little tiny bit off topic, but- mm -hmm. If you ever go to the Boeing Museum of Flight, yes. or if you ever go to the Air, Air and Space Smithsonian, yes. you will see what the old seats used to look like, and they're so yeah. nice. Gigantic. I'm like, why? Why? Yeah, the seats were always much bigger, and we're talking about airplanes that these days would be three by three seats, and they did operate them that way later in their history, but early yeah. on, a lot of these airlines like to operate them in two-two configurations. Oh, you got room. Nice big seats and comfortable. They're like recliners. <laughs> all of this, right. And all of this to say that the reason they had so many crew members is because it was a lot more like individualized. They each had their few rows that they catered to. Quite literally. Yeah. They would bring them like full. It's like their section in a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Like course meal service, you know, and it is a much more glamorous thing. And that's why it required more crew members and they were probably... Making pretty good money at the time. This yeah. is also why flying was so much more of a privileged thing, though. Yes. It was you... so expensive. So oh, yeah. expensive. Now, we're talking about 1968. We're kind of just getting to the cusp of getting out of that. Yes. Okay, but barely. Yes. Well, mind you, the 747 came out that year, and that changed everything. <laughs> That's when we decided we could cram a lot more people into an airplane. And charge less. Charge less get money, more. get more people on. Yeah. That's when it became accessible to the masses. So the 707 was kind of the beginning piece of that, though it still kind of stayed in that luxury range because it was expensive to operate. And then the 747 really changed things. The check pilot that was on board was performing a route check on the captain for this flight. That this is a it's not that they don't do this. Congrats. Still. You know how to fly this route. Right. But it's a lot less necessary these days. I have a question. Yeah. Did he pass his check? Good question. No idea. Doesn't ever say. We don't have to do route checks as often anymore unless there are truly difficult routes or airports to operate in and out of. I imagine you would need a route check for like, I don't know, Lukla? Yep. Ugh. Aspen? Aspen, yes, you should. Ideally. Although it's not entirely that difficult per se. It's just one of those airports that is a little tricky, tricky. It is tricky. Eagle also. Um, uh -huh. But then there's plenty of others in the world. Bhutan. Bhutan, yeah. Very difficult. Um, 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 what's the one I always forget that starts with the CH? Oh, you're, you're talking about Courchevel? Yeah. Yeah, but that one doesn't really have a, there's no airline service. Oh, okay. so never mind. That one doesn't have anything. It's just a, just a little general aviation airport. 
Um, do you have to have one for St. Martin? Nope. Oh. Nope. It just looks intimidating. Yeah. No, it's just a normal airport. Nothing special about that. Other Does than- Leadville get any commercial service? Nope. Okay. Well, anyway. So, yeah, we don't do this very often, but it used to be a lot more commonplace because of the rudimentary ways we used to do navigation. <laughs> and it was critical to make sure that the pilots were managing their navigation systems well and they understood the routing and their position in space on the route. So there, there's many reasons why route checks happened, but this is... It also could just be that he was just being refreshed, making sure he's getting his annual... Currency. Currency, basically, done, where they watch over things. They didn't clarify a whole lot beyond that. The flight departed London Heathrow from runway 28 left at 4.27 p.m. Isn't it amazing how that was in 1968, and today there are still the same two runways at that airport? They have changed number, though, yes. due to the migration of the Earth's... Yes. Magnetic poles. Yeah, that. You know what other airport did that? BJC, like three years ago. Actually, it's probably like five years ago now. But it happens. Yeah. Airports change numbers. I think it's time, what actually. now? Two seven left? Probably. Something like that. Anyway. Anyways. But more the point is there's only two runways still at Heathrow. Which is insane. Astonishing. Truly. For an airport with a curfew. <laughs> Don't even get me started. I hate Heathrow. Gigantic disaster. Ugh. 20 seconds after takeoff, the aircraft was climbing with the gear retracted, and just before the aircraft was to reduce power for the noise abatement, which also still exists, the flight crew and passengers felt and heard a loud bang throughout the plane. So, yes, this happens pretty quickly. Oh, okay. Right after takeoff? Yeah. Right after takeoff. 20 seconds after takeoff. Oh. Yep. Simultaneously, the throttle lever for engine number two kicked towards the closed position, while the engine instruments show that the engine was rolling back. So the throttle literally moved because there was manual connections to these things. Which uh, you could infer would mean that something <laughs> happened something, to the number two engine. Something may have gone wrong. No, really? <laughs> Me thinks the engine, that engine number two might have a problem. Me thinks. <laughs> Me thinks you might be right. <laughs> Me thinks it has more than just one problem. <laughs> Me thinks you might also be right. The captain ordered the, quote, engine failure drill, end quote. This is a checklist. That the <laughs> Old British terms come up in this one a lot. Fire drill is a common term in this report. Yes, and that does not mean what it means here in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 the teacher, are very familiar with fire drills. You mean you don't have, like, a full list of, like, have a vest and take everybody outside and no. take attendance? <laughs> I dare you on a 707 to go take everyone outside. <laughs> Oh, it's a fire drill. Everybody get up. We're going out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, in this instance, it means a checklist. <laughs> because British. British. Sorry. Thanks, Helen. We love you, Helen. <laughs> the first officer immediately began actioning said checklist. The flight engineer pulled the number two throttle lever yes, all the way right. back. At which time, an alarm sounded in the cockpit to alert the crew that the gear was retracted. This is actually very normal. Especially on older airplanes, when you pull the throttle all the way back to idle, it's to tell you that the gear is retracted and that if you're trying to land and you're at idle, you need to put the gear down. Down, yeah. (laughs) So you don't land on the belly. It's not that airplanes don't do this today. They absolutely do. But those alarms aren't tied to just idle thrust anymore. It has to be configured for landing. Yes, there's a lot more series of things that have to happen, and it's a lot more computer-driven. At the time, it was literally just one qualification, and that is gear up idle. 
<laughs> Makes sense. Yes. So, and it could be any of the four engines because all the other three still had thrust, but one engine went to idle and the gear was up, so there was an alarm. That said, the check pilot and the flight engineer both reached for the lever to cancel the horn while the first officer pressed the fire bell cancel button, then reached for the fire shutoff handle, but did not pull it. Why'd you gotta go and do that? We'll talk about that later on. He didn't pull it? We'll talk about that later on. Okay. There's a whole weird thing that just happened there. We'll talk about that later on. Okay. The check pilot looked out of the left flight deck window, at which time he noted a large fire from the engine. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but looks out. Oh! <laughs> and immediately noted that they should probably land as soon as possible. And he didn't pull the fire. Why? It wasn't him. It was the first officer. We'll talk about this and, later on. And, yeah. We'll... And, but, but, okay, but, but, but why? We'll talk about that later on. Wait, did you just say it was the first officer? Yes. That didn't pull the fire lever. The flight engineer and the check pilot both reached for one handle, and the first officer did something else completely different. We will discuss this later on. Okay. So there's a fire, and he noted that they should land as soon as possible. That yes. said, nobody on the flight deck heard a fire bell, so the cockpit was not warning them of a fire, supposedly. But they could see the fire! Supposedly. Now, I leave that as a massive supposedly. <laughs> but they could see the fire, Nick! Correct! So... Tied with a fire bell, usually, there's a light that illuminates on the fire shutoff handle. And it was lit for the number two engine. The captain noticed this after the check pilot's comments and immediately ordered the, quote, engine fire drill. Quote, or the checklist for engine yes. fire rather yes, than yes. engine failure. The check pilot then suggested, and the first officer complied with the captain's approval to make a mayday call. No, really? You have an engine on fire? Fire! Correct. And you go, oh, hey, uh... uh mayday! Just so you're right. aware, uh, mayday. Right. The flight engineer, <laughs> and this is where we get to the part where you're talking about, the flight engineer then changed to the engine fire drill, so he changed to that checklist, which is part by memory and part checklist, by the way. There are three phases to it. First phase is supposed to be from memory and done immediately. The second two phases, the second and third phase, are supposed to be done off of the checklist entirely. This included using the fire extinguisher handle button thing. Handle. Got it. <laughs> it's a handle in this case. Most of these older airplanes is a big giant red handle. Pull it. The light. Yeah. Yeah. The check pilot, meanwhile, turned his attention to monitoring the state of the fire and providing the captain with comments to the position of the airplane for landing. Okay. But. Okay. Wait a minute. You said that the captain had more hours than the check pilot did. Correct. So why in hell? Is the check pilot being like, you should do this, and you should do that. He's only checking him on the route. Why did he automatically take over as like, I am the supreme overlord of the cockpit? <laughs> right. He technically hasn't. And again, CRM doesn't exist. Right. So there's a couple things going on. And also, he's still trying to be helpful where he can. We'll talk about this in a minute. But the captain does start being pilot in command here in a moment. Okay. He does start doing all the things. Well, I mean, he's still flying and like all that stuff. And it's good mm -hmm. that someone's like keeping an eye on the fire, but... Like, giving him, like, comments on, like, the plane? Like, yes. I don't know. That well, he was trying like... to help him navigate because they were now not doing their normal procedure. Panic? Yeah. Yeah. Got so, there's a, there's a series of things going on. But also, he is technically more experienced on the 707, so he has the right to do that. Oh, okay. All right. But, anyways. That's not to say the others aren't experienced on the 707, but... After ATC was made aware of the issue the first time, which... They don't really state exactly when that was, but I imagine that's immediately after the bang. Yeah. 
The air traffic controller had offered the flight a landing back on runway 28 left and alerted the fire services that there was an issue. After the mayday call, however, because this was a lot more immediate issue, yes. the air traffic controller offered 05 right, which is the opposite end of the same runway, the end from which the airplane flew over. Right. To get out. Took out. Took off. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. So they would now just do like a 360 and come right back in on the same runway, opposite direction. Yeah. The crew accepted this since it was a shorter flight path and they just really wanted to get on the ground. The air traffic controller ordered all other aircraft to clear the runway and the approaches as well as all of the taxiways to the runway in order to make way for fire services and the airplane. Yeah. Fire services were notified of the runway change and they started making their way over. One and a half minutes after the start of the fire, the engine suddenly separated from the wing. This is the point at which I called yes, Nick I know. a liar. I am not, though. This is we have like covered pretty much all major instances. In case you are new, but right? it happens. What? You said, "Oh no, that doesn't happen." It does happen. No, Nick. it doesn't. What happens most of the time is the engine goes boom and stays attached. But, this <laughs> but not always. This one went boom and detached. Yes, I know because of a failure. <laughs> But that doesn't happen. We have like four other flights we talked about where and that happened. And that's the other four flights where it happened because we would be the podcast that covers that. But we have also covered more instances where the plane goes boom and it doesn't fall off. <laughs> yes. So I still stand but by the fact no, that this isn't a percentage. You said it doesn't happen. That it, wasn't a percentage. There was no qualifying adjective. Statistically, this does not happen. I don't care about statistics. You said it does not happen. It you doesn't. When you talked to us about it, you didn't say statistically. You said it doesn't happen. The next Air to Pastors episode. I said episode. it doesn't really happen. The next ever. one we watched, not five minutes later. Yes. Was the LL flight. Yes. You are a liar. Statistically, still doesn't happen. I stand my ground. <laughs> Caitlin's got my back on this. <laughs> Statistically, there's not even a percentage, not even a countable like percentage of flights that this has ever happened to. But it has, Nick. We're talking about one right now. And I didn't say never, ever, ever has it ever not happened. <laughs> We're going to table this so that we can wreck your later. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. The engine fell. It separated. It fell from the wing along with part of the pylon. Because turns out fire is destructive. Yes. Turns out. Turns out. In case you were unaware. We'll talk about that later on, but apparently that's something that engineers vastly overlooked. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into this. Yes. But they pulled the fire handle, right? Mm-hmm. What the hell does that do? We'll talk about it. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to stop the fire? <laughs> we'll talk about it. Okay. We'll talk about it. Because I know now there's like actual fire extinguishers in the engine. Oh, there were. will choke out the fire. No, there were. We're on this one. But 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 it sounds <laughs> like, Nick, that they didn't work properly. Yes. <laughs> so. Just say it. We'll talk about that later on. Okay. Excellent deferment. 10 out of 10. Yes. The engine then fell into a water-filled gravel pit. <laughs> That's how they described that it. That is exactly what they wrote. I have nothing more to add. Okay. It didn't fall into somebody's house. It didn't fall into somebody's yard. It fell into a water-filled gravel pit. There are worse places for it to fall in. Correct, and make of that what you will. I have no idea exactly what that means. I picture something in my mind, and that's about it. Cool. The flight crew, however, were not aware of the detachment. Nope, they didn't have a clue. Wasn't someone supposed to be watching the engine? They were watching the wing. 
Not and you see, see you know what you see? You see fire. Flames. Many flames. But what, what they couldn't see the engine. When, when, when the fire stops? Also, mind you, from the cockpit, they're trying to see the number two engine, which is very close to the fuselage, and they're very hard to see. Looking oh, why didn't back. someone go back they into didn't the have, passenger cabin? They didn't have much time. This also, is only about two minutes into flight. Also, Miranda, you said, well, when the fire stops, should they see the engine? Uh, the fire didn't stop. Correct. Oh, so the wing caught fire. Oh, we're all on fire now. We're getting there. It is a raging inferno mess. Great. So they were aware of the large fire, however. That was still very much burning on the wing. Several other engine fragments fell along the flight path, but avoided injuring anyone or doing any property damage somehow. Around the same time of the separation, the landing gear was lowered for landing and full flaps were selected. So literally, they've been airborne for two minutes and they're already going back in. This is this is quick. Like this is a very this is quick a hot mess. Turnaround now. That was funny. <laughs> yes, the flaps only extended to forty-seven degrees. Which okay, in my mind, that is a lot Huge. of huge friggin' degrees. Yeah, it's a lot of flaps. But this is a seven oh seven, and they were still thirty degrees short of full flaps. How? <laughs> <laughs> is that not crazy? Most flaps like max out at forty. Most flaps max out at thirty. <laughs> these days 40 is like really pushing that's 737 territory and that's not needed this is a 707 and they like to have these big giant metal like i don't i don't even know how to explain it because most flaps walls yes most flaps are slatted but on 707s they're literally just big giant metal walls and they go literally like pretty much 90 degrees down how the airplane even flies with that i never understood but it does you do you boo math physics physics. The approach was very difficult as the aircraft had managed to reach 3,000 feet and 225 knots in that That's really two, fast. Minute, two minute period That's of time. That's so fast. Yeah, they got fast and high really quick and this was not far from the runway, meaning a very quick and steep descent was required. No matter, the flight crew performed the approach and did so actually pretty well. They managed to line up with the runway and have an approach Well, I mean, there's and, five of them. Yes, and they also have 90 degree flaps to slow them the down. <laughs> During the approach, the flight engineer noted that the indications for engine number one, the, you know, engine next door, was also not looking good. Indications were that the engine might also fail. Is the 707 a four-engine airplane? Yes. yes. Okay. That makes more sense now. Yes. Two is immediately next to the fuselage. Right. So it's the one next to the fuselage. One's on the outside of the wing. Yes. Got it. Big four-engine jet, you know, jet engine airplane. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yep. Got it. The aircraft reached the threshold and then touched down about 400 yards later. Yes, because British. You can't just stick to metric or imperial units. You got to use some six sad. They couldn't even use feet. And yes, I could do the conversion, but I did this on purpose because I just wanted to make a point. That's what they put in the report. That's what I used. Okay. After touchdown, full wheel braking was applied along with reverse thrust on engine number one and number four. All of the braking means were used until the airplane was nearly at a complete stop. The reverse thrust pushed the flames towards the fuselage, however, from engine number one. You know, that's pushing air toward the fuselage. Right. To the side. Turns out that's a problem. Yeah, it's literally forcing all that fire from the engine number two area just straight toward the fuselage. Yeah. So that's wonderful. The aircraft came to a stop 1,800 yards from the threshold, just to the left of the center line, but still on the runway. After the airplane came to a stop, the flight engineer commenced the engine shutdown procedures, closing the start levers, shutting down the engines. Simultaneously, the captain ordered the fire drill on the remaining engines, or the fire checklist on the remaining three engines, just to be safe. Before they could begin that checklist, though, 
there was an explosion from the left wing, which increased the intensity of the fire and threw fragments all over the airplane and surrounding area. The captain ordered immediate evacuation of the flight deck. The flight crew abandoned the fire checklist before they even began it. They just jumped ship. Yeah, I would too. That's not like procedure, but... Nope. More explosions occurred as fuel leaked from the left wing and spread underneath the aircraft. Oh, nice. Increasing the area of fire. The cabin crew had made preparations for the emergency landing, and as they were coming to a stop, were still kind of preparing, but were doing the emergency evacuation. They commenced the procedures as the aircraft came to a stop. The escape slides had to be manually rigged by design. So once they opened the doors... They had to place a positioning bar. And then they had to manually inflate the slides. What? What? It wasn't just an automatic thing. We'll talk about that later on, but yes, this is a problem. And that is not the only problem with the slide. We'll get to that in just a second. Okay, so I realized that this is before the time where they realized that they only had about 90 seconds to, uh, you know, get everyone off the airplane. Mm -hmm. But um, I feel like it would take a little too long, especially with the plane on fire. You are correct. uh, To inflate manually slides on their own. Yes, you are correct. It's not to say that they didn't have some kind of propellant to inflate these things, but they weren't built the way they are today. So this inflation process still took a little bit of time. They were not very sturdy. And Which they still had is to do not it. great. And normally what happens is when the door is armed, you throw open the door and it poof. Yes. Ignites and makes the slide big. Yes. Because <laughs> that's how Inflate. the slides work. It makes the slide be a slide. Nowadays, that's what happens. But back then. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. And that is by far and away not the biggest problem with the slides. Actually, not you, at all. You gonna get real mad in a minute. Okay. And it's also by design. <laughs> That's the worst part. The passengers began evacuating from the overwing exits, and a short time later, the slides were inflated. However, due to the fire and the heat, the rear slides both burst. <laughs> and after the first explosion, the left overwing exit also became unusable, and that slide burst. And also, they just couldn't go out there because there was flames. This is one of those things where they tell you when you see fire, don't go out. That's what happened. So, okay. They have two slides in the back. Mm-hmm. Two slides in the front, two overwing. There are no slides on the overwing. They s- claim that there was in part of the report. Okay. They don't talk about them in the part of the report that I read. Probably because they weren't usable. I mean, you could use the right side. But Doesn't matter. The left but... side is unusable. How necessary is it when you have flaps that go straight to the ground, pretty much? Are they? Are they- <laughs> still down oh yeah yes absolutely oh then why the hell i i don't want to fall in a hole no thanks Mm -hmm. i'm i'm chill i'm good so so the two back exits they have open the slides both deflated yep and then the one on the left side in the front deflated that just became unusable well the, the the one over the wing Became unusable on the left side, the exits over the wing, because there was an explosion in fire and flames, and you yes. didn't want any part of that. Now, meanwhile, the front, almost all passengers and crew evacuated from the front of the aircraft. Which they had to, it's not like they had a choice. Correct. The flight crew were unable to access the galley, apart from, so the captain really couldn't access the galley. The first officer kind of been directing there, and the flight engineer had managed to somehow escape out that way. We'll talk about that in a second. So the captain was forced to evacuate via the cockpit windows and the escape ropes, which they did have. Right. We've talked about these before. They still exist. A short time later, the forward left slide also burst from the heat. And this was just immediately after the flight engineer actually had gone down to the bottom of it, seen that it was kind of folded and causing issues. So he unfolded it and then it burst. Oh. So now they're down to one slide. (laughs) Which, if we know anything about having only one exit. Not great. That's a recipe for 
disaster. You're correct. The evacuation wasn't nearly completed when the fire and rescue services arrived at the aircraft. We have to assume that this was a relatively quick process, no matter, even though they had all these problems. The wing and much of the fuselage was burned out, though the fire services were able to prevent the spread of the fire to the right side and the other fuel tanks. Four passengers and one cabin crew were overcome by heat and smoke at the rear of the aircraft and unfortunately perished in the accident. 38 other passengers were injured in the evacuation. It took hours for rescuers to determine these numbers because many passengers were immediately rushed to care and others just left. What? Hold on. How? Where? They just... Where'd they go? Left. (laughs) (laughs) Where the f*** did they go? They left. They didn't leave their names. They didn't check in for status or anything. They just left. You On on an active, like, runway? I mean, it wasn't active. There's a burning airplane on it. Yeah, but there's (laughs) airplanes taxiing and... Yeah, I mean... They just walked down the tarmac? It wasn't wasn't near as big or busy of an airport, although it was big and busy, but it wasn't near as big and busy as it is now. But no one decided to be like... They probably didn't have a super secure perimeter fence like they do now, so people probably just... Went to their cars and went home? Walked out to the road and were like, I gotta (laughs) go away from here. (laughs) Survive that, I guess I'm going home now, or I'm going to a hotel or something. Yeah, so, I don't know. There's plenty of reason to just be weirdly astonished by how people operate in emergencies. Okay, you got anything else? That's it. This investigation was presumably... Performed by the AAIB, though the report was not published as an AAIB report, which is why I phrase it that way, but it was published as an ICAO circular. Yeah. As such, it was blessedly short, despite the devastation of this accident. Despite the era in which this occurred, this aircraft did have a flight data acquisition system that recorded heading, airspeed, altitude, pitch attitude, and vertical acceleration. That's nice. And the cassette this was all recorded on was intact and able to be read out quilty. That's nice. It's pretty miraculous considering the back half of this airplane burned. Yeah. The number two engine was found five miles away. Not really. So pretty easy to tell at least part of what happened. Also found with it was a section of its number two stage low pressure compressor wheel. Well, that's not supposed to be outside the engine. Usually that's an inside part. Once that was found, an extensive search was carried out over the ground below the flight path, and investigators further recovered the severely damaged engine stator and rotor blades from the low-pressure compressor as well as some of the casing from the compressor. Further along, they found more pieces of the wheel rim as well as the main fuel feed pipe from the starboard side of the engine. Logic says this whole thing was started by an uncontained engine failure due to a rupture of the number 5 low-pressure compressor wheel rim. A detailed examination and metallurgical study was conducted with the assistance of the manufacturer, and it was revealed that the number five low-pressure compressor wheel had disintegrated. That's not usually something you want uh, to have happen inside the engine. Yeah, I was like, tell me if I'm wrong, but, like, that's not supposed to happen. You're correct. Which then proceeded to yeet several pieces of the rim and blading through the outer casing. For lack of a... Better term. Professional term. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, displacing the main fuel pipe and discharging pressurized fuel. And causing a fire. Hence fire. Fire. Got it. How did the compressor wheel disintegrate? Well. Fatigue! <laughs> Welcome back to the fatigue podcast. How'd you guess? It was metal fatigue at the radius where the wheel web forms the rim. 
However, and this is a big however, this part was considerably low in its cycle life. Fatigue in such a young part is not common. I was going to say, this airplane wasn't that old, right? Like, having fatigue on something that's so young is kind of weird. So investigators took a look at the maintenance records and found that this engine had a history of vibration prior to its installation on the accident aircraft. But, based on the maintenance records and lack of intact parts and the overall limitations of mechanical forensics at the time, investigators were unable to determine if the vibration continued after installation and if it had any bearing on the catastrophic failure. Basically, investigators know that metal fatigue was the cause of the rupture, but the cause of the advanced fatigue is undetermined. Isn't that fun? I hate that word. They didn't have the technology. I know. In case you're wondering. That's a theme throughout most of this report. My guess would be is yes, the vibration was still an issue and it caused it to the point where it caused a fatigue crack and eventually became a fracture. In case you're wondering, this doesn't matter anymore because 707s don't really fly anymore, especially this type. I found it interesting that the report points out that at the time, studies into fatigue failure were quite young, and they made some suggestions for precautionary measures such as improved polishing and minimum thickness dimensions. But the big thing that prevents fatigue failures now are non-destructive inspection or NDI techniques such as eddy current and ultrasonic inspections for cracks, as well as fluorescent penetrant dye inspections. We've talked about these numerous times before, but this is how we get away with not having fatigue failures. Yeah. Check out the chalk episode. Check out the China UA-232 episode one. China Airlines episode. There are so many. We don't say welcome back to the fatigue podcast for no reason. Correct. Okay. But we've had uncontained engine failures before that weren't quite so catastrophic. How did this end so poorly? The next section of the analysis delves into the events after the failure but preceding the landing. One question I'm sure Miranda has had prior to this point in the script is, what about the fire extinguishers in the engine? That's what I said. Good question. (laughs) I said that. Thank you for setting that up. (laughs) It was going to be real awkward if I had to read that and you hadn't asked that. (laughs) Investigators took a look at the fire extinguisher bottles and found that they had not been discharged at all. It turns out that's a problem. (laughs) What's the point of having them if they don't work? Well, they were unable to find any mechanical or electrical defects in the fire extinguisher system other than those sustained in the ground fire. And witnesses and photographic evidence revealed that the fire continued to burn after the engine had fallen away. It was at this point that it became evident that the flight crew had not, in fact, activated them <gasps> at all. What? Wait, no, they said they, that they, they pulled the lever thingy. That was a different thing. They said they went to pull the lever. So. In fact, the number two engine fire shutoff handle was not pulled at all. There's five... There's five grown people in that cockpit, and no one went, you know what? And there's one- no one pulled the bright red lever thingy. <laughs> there's one key little detail that I left out in the story for this. Anyway. I don't know if you get to it. I don't know if I do either. And this is the device that would have cut off fuel to the engine and thus the fire. This was also supported by the loss of hydraulic fluid. This also would have been shut off by that same handle. So, investigators were very curious as to why the operation of the fire shutoff handle seemed to have been glossed over or omitted during the engine fire drill, and why it continued to go unnoticed through the course of the accident. Investigators through this part of the analysis considered that at this point in time, it is inevitable that there may be some doubt among the crew of the ability to put out the fire. This was noted as being further accentuated by the recent accident of the Boeing 707 at Honolulu, when the turbine wheel disintegrated and punctured a fuel tank. So basically, they're like, well, there's a fire. We're screwed. They pretty much assumed that it what? just wouldn't do anything. That's, that's what but we haven't covered yet. you can't assume that. How would you know if you don't use it? 
The fire drills, or rather checklists as we call them today, were included in this report and the layout they were provided to the crew, which was vertical, as most checklists normally are. But the two checklists were also laid out side by side in the report so we could see the similarities. I see. Although these were practiced regularly by the crews, it is obvious that in a true emergency, tensions are running high and it's easy to become confused between the two checklists and determine which of the items still needed to be accomplished. Summarize what y'all see from here. So The engine fire checklist is on the left and the engine overheat or engine failure checklist is on the right. So there's a lot of similar things on each checklist, like the thrust lever, the start lever, the essential power, all of those are the same. But there's two phases to the one for engine fire, and there is only one. Right. And of course, the fire one includes the engine overheat or pulling the fire lever. Yes. The fire shutoff lever. The critical difference between them is the fire shutoff handle. When interviewed, the flight engineer remembered going for the fire shutoff handle, but apparently didn't pull it. And his going for it gave both him and the co-pilot the impression that it had indeed been pulled. Its unpulled state went undetected because it gets pulled directly towards you as the flight engineer, and it only gets pulled by half an inch, which is very difficult to discern from the front viewing perspective. This human factors matter could be something that was, may I don't know, maybe considered in future designs. Mm-hmm. Sure was. The Czech pilot reported that once the warning light in the fire handle had gone out, eventually known to be because the engine had fallen off, his attention was not drawn in that direction, so he continued to concentrate on assisting the captain in landing the aircraft. Investigators criticized the construction of the fire drill procedure and training because the vital operation of pulling the fire shutoff handle relied solely on memory. Phase one was by memory. Correct. He was supposed to remember to pull the fire handle. Correct. And there were no further checks of this action further down the checklist. There was nothing in the checklist that said, look and ensure that you pulled that handle. Yeah, usually, I mean, okay, so to be fair, to play devil's advocate, nowadays, every checklist has a check, right? Uh So someone does something, someone checks it. Someone does something, someone checks it. That's the whole point of CRM, right? This is before that time. And this is also... At the beginning of the jet age. This is when we had flight engineer panels. Right. Who's going to turn back and check that the flight engineer pulled the fire shutoff handle? So, be it that the fire shutoff handle was by memory, and this was not completed... Here's the key little detail that I left out, and I will read this. So I'm going to remind you that there was no cockpit voice recorder. Yes. Correct. So there's no proof of this. This is pretty much a he said, he said thing. Yeah. And here's what it reads verbatim from the report. When the co-pilot started to read the checklist, the flight engineer told him the check was already completed. During this period, and subsequently according to this evidence, the check pilot directed his attention to monitoring the fire. So... One's already distracted, and the other person who was actually supposed to be helping with the checklist told the first officer that it was already done. And so they just omitted the rest of it, which is why they completely ignored all of this. They assumed phase one was already done, the first officer was ready to raise phase two, and the flight engineer said, no, 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 it's already done. This is why CRM is such a huge development in the aviation technology realm. Correct. Because this... CRM made it so you can't just skip checklists. Right. And the flight engineer may have assumed this, assuming that they had already done the flight, the engine failure checklist, right. which had already been completed, read off by the first officer and completed. But there are differences. There are differences. And he probably got confused. And somewhere along the way, human factors made it so that it never happened. Well, and again, you are in a plane that is on fire. Right. Right after takeoff. 
You don't have a lot of time. Tensions right. are running high. I understand. There's adrenaline galore. They it, weren't even airborne for five minutes. You know what ticks me off, though? <laughs> this pisses me off. Is mm-hmm. This is less than half a page. Yes. Why the hell don't you have it written down somewhere? Like, I understand. So part of it, part of it is written. Oh, I know. Part of it's from memory. Phase one is memory, right? right? Because it's supposed to be enacted quickly. It's not that it's not written down, but it's trained from memory. I know. Not to say that we don't do this these days as well, but it is absolutely also written and you have to verify it. So. When you have these instances, yes, there are things you are supposed to do from memory as quick as possible. That's absolutely true still. Those things are ingrained, but now we use newer techniques to make sure that that is easier to do. Yes. For one, looking for engine fire. Why the f*** is engine fire? Okay, I got it. 70.18. I'm so glad I'm not a pilot. This is a much more complicated process these days. Well, and the QRH is uh, quite large. Yes. If you've never seen a QRH, it is a gigantic book that has little, like, sticky-outy thingies. Yes. And this is the, the tabs? Yes. <laughs> tabs. There we go. I can't remember <laughs> the name. <laughs> oh, yes. God. The quick reference handbook doesn't look very quick when you look at it. No, it's very large, and I would have no idea where to start. But, but now what you're supposed to do from memory more than action, the beginning of the checklist? Yeah. Although that can still be the case, again. Depends on the on the checklist. The the quick thing you're supposed to know how to do is where to go in the QRH. In the QRH, yeah. Which just took me a hot second. Well, that's because you're not trained to know exactly where to go right away. To fire protection first, and turns out engine fire is under engines. Huh. Wow, what do you know? What, what a thought. In my defense, okay? Uh, fire, yes. Understood. <laughs> Emergency situation, yes. Yeah. In- okay. So, allow me to read from an A320 from 2018 QRH from an unknown airline. I know what airline, but you don't know what airline. Condition, an engine fires detected in flight. Yeah. Okay, check. (laughs) Instruction zero. In bold. Land as soon as possible. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Get the airplane on the ground. Okay. Thrust lever of the affected engine. Idle. Correct. Engine master of the affected engine. Off. Engine fire push button of the affected engine. Pushed. (laughs) Mind you, Nick's not looking at this. I can assume these things pretty easily. Agent one after 10 seconds. Discharge. Discharge. That's the fire extinguisher. ATC. Notify. (laughs) If fire after 30 seconds, meaning if there is still a fire after 30 seconds. Agent two. Activate. Discharge. Discharge. Whatever. God, get it right. Okay, whatever. It's another friggin' fire extinguisher. They have multiple now. Point is, most of that checklist was activate the fire extinguisher. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Turn things off, activate the fire extinguisher, notify ATC. Fly the plane. Go home. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily home. Not necessarily home. Well, you're going home one way or another. The closest airport you can get to. (laughs) That's home. (laughs) Okay. So there's all of that. Checklist. Execution. Garbage. Was absolute shite. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Bob. The last aspect of this analysis was the evacuation of the aircraft upon landing. 
Investigators commended the cabin crew and were backed by numerous passenger statements that though there was little time available to prepare, everything that could have been done in the brief time was completed, and the cabin crew were calm, cool, and efficient through the whole process. So, okay, it was through the efforts of the cabin crew that the loss of life was not greater. And while I'm on that note, I do want to pull some information from the Wikipedia page. So one of the losses of life was one of the flight attendants. Real quick. Because I remember covering an accident that was pretty old. Did they do the weird thing where they took their shoes off? I don't know. It doesn't stay. It doesn't say anywhere in the report. But the one flight attendant who passed away was Barbara Jane Harrison, and it was because she went back for the four other passengers that also died. She did. I didn't tell all the story that came along with this. She went back for the four, and she had already helped others, including some children, out. They all died from inhalation of fumes. Not surprising because this was the point where we had not yet discovered that the seats were poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. She was posthumously awarded the George Cross for heroism during the accident and another crew member received a British Empire medal and an air traffic controller was made a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. In case you were wondering what the airplane looked like on the runway. Not great. Okay. So. How do they have a a photo that's a color? I mean, they had colored photos (laughs) as early as the 30s. You just had to be the right person. And in the 60s, that was a lot more accessible. But So the first thing that investigators pointed out as inefficient in the evacuation, or in a rage war. Speaking of non-colored photos, though, this was captured as the engine was falling from the airplane. Oh, is that the engine? Yeah. Holy. Whatever was left of it after most of it had already burned away. That little thing right there? Yep, that's that's the engine. Whatever was left of it. We're looking at the picture on the Wikipedia page. Anyway, so... I'll put it on the website. The first thing that investigators point out was a Miranda rage warning. This was inefficient in the evacuation. Was the, quote, great concern of the passengers to take their small belongings with them as it... I was gonna say, take their off the airplane! (laughs) Okay. As it tends to block (laughs) up the gangways, end quote. I hate... Okay, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, because this is 1968. I wouldn't. But please don't take your off with you especially when the slides are deflatable (laughs) so next on the um unofficial investigator list the fittings of the galley door escape chutes were not ideal no really are those the slides (laughs) yes and involved positioning a bar behind the clips on the cabin floor before they would extend Obviously, since then, technology behind emergency slides has vastly improved. We and- got racket power slides. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know how simple the 737 slides actually still remain from this accident, basically? Hmm. Rather than being manually mounted, do you know how they arm the door? They reach down, they put the slide into the bar on the, or to the slots on the bottom, because there's a bar on the mm-hmm. slide. They literally just slot it into the... The clips on the bottom of the, the door frame that hold it in place so that when you open the door, it just pulls it out, It pulls the slide and it thus activates. It's that simple. And they figured I out. I mean, why complicate it? They figured out it still works. Meanwhile, Airbus, it's all built into the frame and everything. Oh. And as soon as the door opens digitally, it poof. OK, but digital requires electric well, power. It's not all digital, actually. Some of it's still mechanical because okay. it's reliant on the latches. Anyway. The other big deal with the inflatable escape chutes that we have not discussed as an issue, but were quite an issue here and was quickly rectified after this accident. These chutes were, um, flammable. (laughs) The The slides were made of flammable materials. Why? This is why they burst. The whole point of an escape. 
escape slide is to escape. <laughs> How are you going to do that if they burst? If there's a fire? What's the point? By design, these things were absolutely atrocious. <laughs> Horrible. They what is the point? They literally served no purpose in escaping an airplane. There's no point. Why haven't a slide at all? Just jump out of the f***ing airplane. The times you're going to need that slide is absolutely when it's at its least effective. <laughs> I, you get less hurt jumping out of the goddamn airplane to the tarmac than getting on a thing that blows up. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This one might have some, some, some reason to be mad. <clears throat> Both the starboard rear galley door chute and the port forward main chute caught fire and burst. This severely limited the evacuation capabilities, as you may imagine. Not what? Sherlock, I wonder. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And last but not least, the fire and rescue operation of the evacuation. Investigators decried the location of the main fire station at Heathrow in relation to the operating runways as it could cause a delay in arrival to the scene of an accident. <laughs> what is it? Not near the runways. Why? <laughs> okay, I realize this is 1968, but didn't I think, wow, you know what? When an airplane's on fire, where's it going <laughs> to land? And even though, even though the evacuation was mostly successful, contrary to all of these issues, fire and rescue didn't show up until it was pretty much over. So that we, doesn't normally happen anymore. Well, we've covered quite a few incidences where that was the case. Yes, you are correct. But now they are trained to be there in like there's literally there's 30, 40 seconds. Of like every one way at Denver. Yes. They're, yes. They're there. There are four. They are. Yes. There's so many. And there's ones that are off the. And I think there's one in the terminal. Uh, Nearish. There's, there's one, one off site on Pena. Yep. That yes. That is the one that responds to the terminal. Yes. By the way. Anyway. But they have to be able to get there within less than two minutes. And they can. Okay. Because of the location of the main fire station, investigators insisted that extreme care must be taken in communication between fire service, police, and air traffic control so as to minimize or eliminate any delay. And they also report that this has already greatly improved since the accident. That being said, they also point out that Heathrow was continuing to grow in quantity and size of aircraft, so a review of the number and location of fire stations would be most prudent. No, really. Yes, no, they changed that a lot. <sighs> they changed the locations. There are quite a few You now. should have a, you know, a fire station close to the runway. Yeah, <clears throat> and also probably either end so that you're not having to fight aircraft you traffic. You only have two runways. How did you manage to put the main fire station? Oh, never mind. Okay. Yeah, so that's a whole thing. It's Heathrow. On top of that, a lot of airports have now developed where they have fire and rescue access roads only. Uh-huh. Like, we have roads in, in Denver. So this is, this is, a lot of airports actually operate this way. But in Denver, for example, all of the airport roads that aren't immediately, like, on a taxiway or a runway are color-labeled. And depending on your level of access, depending on what you need it for, determines whether or not you're allowed to use that road. And some of them are fire and rescue access only. So that allows them to get to where they need to be without having to go through aircraft traffic, other vehicles, or anything that might get in the way and just get there as soon as possible. Now, mind you, they're also allowed to go wherever they need to be in an accident. So they can go off-road. They can go over taxiways. They can go under airplanes safely. They can go wherever they got to be. They got to they gotta get there. They're going to get there. Yep. And now we're pulling some punches. Quote, the tactical approach to this fire was not in accordance with accepted training principles. 
The positions taken up by the two foam tenders brought into use in the early part of the operation were not well judged. Consequently, the main foam volume potentially available could neither be applied to help to isolate the fuselage from the fire, nor to the seat of the fire itself. The design of the appliances used is such that once the snap decision to stop and make foam has been taken, they become virtually immobile and no adjustment to rectify an initial error can be made since the appliances cannot make foam and move simultaneously, end quote. So the firefighting equipment that shoots firefighting foam, you plant it and you make foam. You can't move it. Now the trucks just have foam, right? Yes. Turns out not only has aviation tech advanced since the 60s, but so has firefighting technology. Yes. Investigators harped on the foam firefighting a little more since the failure of a hand line on one appliance even further reduced their firefighting capabilities at a severely critical time. The reason for the hose burst was undetermined. The design of such hoses has already advanced prior to the accident, but they had yet to retrofit the foam appliances and water tenders at Heathrow with the more advanced hoses. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, we changed the thing, but we haven't fixed the thing that changed. So that's what I've got. Again, it was, this analysis was like two and a half pages, and I, I think. It's not like this report or anything was very complicated or long, but we managed to make this first half very long because there was a lot of things to get angry about. Okay. Okay? You want to take a break? Yeah, and then the second half, which is not going to be half at all. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi there, I'm Lance, and I'm the host of true crime podcast Gone But Never Forgotten. I tell stories of missing persons, murders both solved and unsolved, serial killers, and everything in between. GBNF has been putting out episodes since April of 2021 and continues to drop a new episode each and every week. I like to focus on both giving a voice to the voiceless at the center of the stories that I cover, and also on the psychology of the criminals who commit the heinous crimes that are covered on the show. If you're looking for a fresh serving of true crime in your life, please check out Gone But Never Forgotten wherever you take in your podcasts. Let's take a flight back in time because today's podcast episode is brought to you by So There I Was, the go-to podcast for all things aviation. Hosted by two former Marine Harrier pilots, they've taken their passion for flying and brought it right to your ears. Each week, they're joined by a range of guests who lived through it all, from the thrills of breaking sound barriers to the chills of narrowly escaping disaster. They share riveting tales of adrenaline-filled combat missions, hilarious hijinks, and close calls that'll have you on the edge of your seat, just like in episode 21, where Curly from the VMA-231 Ace of Spades Squadron recounted his 38 combat missions in Gulf War I and the escapades of his squadron's Lieutenant's Revolutionary Front. And now they've got a new line of merch ready for you to show off your love for So There I Was. From t-shirts to beach towels, they've got everything you need to turn everyday items into conversation starters. So get ready for takeoff. Strap in, recline your seat, and enjoy the ride with So There I Was. 
no upright position with your tray tables up today, subscribe today at so there I was us. It's how all great aviation tales begin. So we're going to preface this uh, second half of the episode by the fact that we are currently in the middle of the NBA Finals Game 5. And if the Denver Nuggets win, which so happens to be our local team, there will be screaming. Yes. There will probably be lots of fireworks and things going off outside, and because this is also being done here. I'm sure you already know the result, because this was now probably two weeks ago. It's going to be real funny if we don't actually win this game. Go ahead. Sorry, Nick. Findings. Let's do some findings. Yes, they actually had all the normal things in this, even though it was an ICAO circular. circular. They actually had it all. Even though the conclusions were on page 19? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... They found that the maintenance documents show that during a test run after repair, prior to installation in the aircraft, there was vibration in the number two engine, but this was within the limits laid down by the manufacturer. Mm, was probably it? not. <laughs> was it? They don't know what they're looking for yet. Maybe it was within limits, but it's still a vibration that's not normal for an engine it, that just got reinstalled. Yeah, and after you uh, do that for an extended period of time, turns out not great. Yeah. There are some uh, devices in this world that are intended to vibrate. And engine parts are not one of them. Right. Finally, the number two engine's fifth stage lower pressure compressor wheel failed due to fatigue. The reason for this has not been established. Welcome back to the fatigue podcast. Yes. So rudimentary, they couldn't even figure out why, though. Thus, I am also fatigued. (laughs) Yes. Thus. Thus. They found that the failure of the number two engine compressor wheel caused damage to the starboard side of the engine and to its cowling. This resulted in a fuel leak from the engine fuel supply line and a fire. This is why we have fuel line cutoffs now. And they had them. Yes. They just didn't use it. Right. They found that after starting and before completing an engine overheat or failure drill, it became necessary for this crew to carry out a fire drill or checklist, if you will. Do not evacuate the airplane in the air due to a fire. (laughs) Someone needed to call a wee-woo wagon. A wee-woo wagon. A sky wee-woo wagon. They found that the co-pilot cancellation of the fire bell instead of the undercarriage warning horn prevented the fire bell from ringing. Did you notice that I said that earlier? Did you notice that I said that during the story? Something about the fire bell? What about the fire bell? This was a very curious moment. Remember how I said that nobody remembers hearing a fire bell? Yes. You know why that was? No. Because the flight engineer and the check pilot both reached for the cancel horn for the landing gear thing, which is what was going off. The first officer recounted that he, by sheerly uh, a jerk, knee-jerk reaction, canceled the fire bell warning. Well... Before it ever went off. In his defense. It never went off. Do you also know what the first step of the fire drill is? Cancel it. Yes, I understand. But they didn't even know. So they started an engine failure checklist because they didn't hear the fire bell instead, which could have saved them a few seconds. Okay, it wouldn't have done much, but it could have saved them a few seconds. No matter. That was a key detail. They, they He missed that. And that, the fact that when you cancel it, it can't go off. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a cool thing. <laughs> great system there's a lot of things in this accident that were like wow we really designed that with a lot of lack of afterthought wow we're really bad at doing this job (laughs) (laughs) we designed it to perform a task that it can barely do i was so bad at designing planes in the 60s yes that's funny you funny i'm hilarious you funny why? Because you weren't alive in the 60s? that's why that was funny funny. the joke's not funny if you have to explain it you funny They found that the closure of the fuel shutoff valve by pulling the fire handle was inadvertently omitted by the flight engineer when he carried out the fire drill. 
I like the term glossed over. Yes. The omission was not noticed by the pilot in command, the co-pilot, or the check pilot. Or anybody! The second officer was in no position to observe the situation. Literally never came up otherwise. Where the (laughs) is this guy? I don't know. I have no name. I have no idea about this person. He doesn't come up in the story at all. Did he have any... Like, role? Bearing on the situation? What I have to imagine is either he is deadheading for the later routes in order but to But they the would have said officer. he was deadheading. Right. Or he was the navigator. Where's the navigator? In a further position toward the rear of the cockpit. That's all I can think. Ancient, I don't know. Ancient Chinese secret. This one... Ancient British secret. I'm sure I can look it up on the 707, but regardless, it's just... This person had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> I mean, they didn't die. Them up? They were in the cockpit. BOAC 707 cockpit, I guess. Oh, God, it's so old. Yes, and very complicated. It's so old. And crowded. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's a 737 cockpit, but with five people in it. I think that the flight engineer and the navigator sat back to back. That could be. In which case, the check pilot must be in the middle between the two. Wait, what? With what room? <laughs> With what room? There's no room for a check pilot in there. Look, I'm only telling you what There's I can assume. There's no room. I'm only telling I you what I can like, assume. I feel like, you know how they have like, like a cap on the amount of people that can be in a certain place? Yes. I feel like. Is fire code, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Not that that was our job. At really, anything. ironically, the fire code. Like there's another seat for him to be in. It looks like he would have had to just stand in the middle. So amazingly, a lot of cockpits actually can fit more people than you think they can. Not comfortably. No, but they can. They can fit more people than you think they can. Define fit. You can put like four people in a CRJ cockpit. It's not pretty, but you can do it. I don't want to. Right. Neither do they. <laughs> They found that the failure to close the fuel shutoff valve permitted the fire to continue. No, no me. <laughs> Yeah, you don't extinguish the fire. It's going to keep going. Wow. Turns out. What a surprise. They found that the BOAC fire and engine overheat or failure drills in force at the time were capable of misapplication under stress. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. It's a really long way of, long-winded way of saying when you're in a stressful situation, you can really misinterpret that check. You're going to mess it up. And that's just CRM and Human Factors 101. That's what that is. That's all that means. That's all that is. Don't don't take that any more complicated than that. They found that the overall efficiency of the airport fire services was seriously reduced by some appliance deployment and equipment failures. However, they were successful in preventing the spread of the fire to 3,000 gallons of fuel in the starboard wing of the aircraft. Great. The airplane still burned completely. The fuselage is gone. Yes. This airplane was scrapped. This airplane wasn't just scrapped. It was scrapped on the spot. (laughs) There was nothing else to do with this airplane. It burned itself to dust. I mean, if you look at the... I'm going to try to put the image of the fire on Mm -hmm. the tarmac. Put our website on fire. Yes. Yes. You will see. There is no way in hell that they're going to be able to use that airplane again. Ah, no. (laughs) There's no way you could move it. There's no way you could do anything with it. It it burned right there. How did they move it? They pick up the pieces and throw it away. Yeah. (laughs) No, they had to save it for investigation. And then they threw it away. (laughs) I'm sure. Some of it, whatever was usable, probably got recycled and the rest got 
thrown away. Can we talk about how we should not recycle accident pieces? Yes. Ghosts. It's the ghosts. I wish I was joking. Our third episode, EA 401. Check yes. it out. So all of this, that was all the findings. That was that was Damn, it. That's not a lot. No. Oh. They didn't even bring up any of the deficiencies or anything that had to do with, I don't know, the slides. Well, this is also 1968. Yes. So. You know, everything was flammable inside. They didn't talk about that either. Uh, and they were poisonous. Just, they were just a little bit like, well, this kind of happens often still, so this is par for the course. <laughs> this kind of happens. <laughs> this kind of so happens terrible. all the time. It's true, though. You're not wrong. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but true. It is true. Okay. Okay. Well, the cause or probable cause, they say or. Or. Yes. The f- I don't know. Cause or probable cause is. Cause, parenthesis, S. Yes. The accident resulted from an omission to close the fuel shutoff valve when number two engine caught fire following the failure of its number five low pressure compressor wheel. The failure of the wheel was due to fatigue. (laughs) Fatigue! (laughs) That was the whole friggin' probable cause. That is not the shortest probable cause we've ever read. No, No, it's not. But it's pretty damn short. This one, I feel like they put minimal effort into this. I think we've read a five word probable cause I'm guessing one person wrote that. Unlike the NTSB, who has to agree on it and they can fight over a word. As an entire group? <sighs> yes. This to be one fair, was. This is 1968. This was probably a single person who was like, I don't know. This is about what happened. And everyone was like, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Guess how many recommendations there are? Three. Oh, three. It was like none. Whopping three. So they do, they do cover the important things. From the information gained during this investigation, it is considered that the following recommendations are pertinent. They recommend that there should be a further study of the BOAC-707 engine emergency drills, both as to the sequence of operation and allocation of responsibility for individual items, to ensure that the most effective application and checking procedures are used. In other words- CRM, CRM, CRM. Yes, going over the checklist and making sure they're well, CRM efficient. Before CRM was a CRM. CRM right. before CRM was a word. But that's pretty much what that Phrase. is. Idea. We'll get to the end of the recommendations, but there's one massive thing they just don't talk about. Number two, they recommend the review of aircraft fire and rescue operations recommended by the fire service group is supported with the further recommendation that to ensure progress, it should, in the first instance, be confined to the problems of Heathrow. So Heathrow is a problem. (laughs) It's still a problem. It has never not been a problem. But in the realm of fire and rescue operations, he throws a problem. Fix those problems, please, and thank you. They they very Britishly worded this to say he they throws need f- much more efficient fire and rescue service Maybe process at Heathrow. A uh, you know fire station, fire station very close by, by the runway. Yes, what more than that? one is usually preferable when yes. you have a big airport. And finally, they recommend research should be undertaken into the material of which escape chutes are made to obtain greater fire-resistant characteristics and into their design and installation to ensure rapid deployment and protection against heat for those using them. Make them automatic and not catch fire. Yeah, make them not go boomy. Guess what we did. (laughs) Now they don't go boomy. Even the most basic and what's the word I'm looking for? I have no idea. Ancient? Antiquated, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Even the oldest of planes nowadays have been retrofitted with chutes that don't go boom. Yes. And chutes that deploy. Yes. Rapidly. Automatically. That's why we arm doors. That's what you're doing. You're arming the slide. So, did you note the two massive things they didn't talk about in the Passengers recommendations? taking their Well, there's them. that, but no, much bigger than that. One, 
the engine? The, the fatigue in the engine? Okay, so the way I perceive the lack of recommendation is the fact that they knew that the topic was already being heavily researched. Yes. And since then, fatigue fracture mechanics have developed so greatly. Yes. And they knew that was happening. And while they touched on the checklist piece in brief in here, what they really needed to do was touch on fire mitigation as a whole as a recommendation or set of recommendations. How in the world do we stop the fire from happening? They needed to have recommendations on the fire extinguishers, the process to pull it, and how not just the checklists themselves, but how the crew is trained to make sure those things happen in a fire, how to identify it and make it stop, because that would have been the biggest survival piece out of all of it. So things that came from this, well... That's a lot of things. That that's not even necessarily the phrase I want to use, but things that have since been solved that affected this accident but did not necessarily come from this accident include fracture fatigue mechanics, non-destructive inspection techniques... Correct. Crew resource management. Correct. And actually usable slides. Yes. So in summary. Yep. People don't die as much This don't happen no more. Yeah. It really doesn't happen. Which I would also like to point out that despite the extremely devastating looking pictures, only five people died, which is pretty miraculous given this happened in the late 60s. It is. And they really do owe that to the cabin crew who were well trained and they did everything they could to make it happen. They deserved every award they received and... God bless that one flight attendant. Ultimately, this was, this could have been so much more disastrous. It really could have. Things went wrong and it could have been prevented from being as bad as it was, but it also could have been worse. It really could have. Okay, that's it, right? That's it! (laughs) Do we have anything else to address? We have trivia questions. Oh, yes. So, okay, but this was BOAC flight... 712. 712. All right, so here are your trivia questions. For this month. So, number one was, how tall is me? <laughs> that, is that would be Miranda. Miranda. <laughs> I, I, okay, so I like uh, Bob's answer. He goes, listen, Linda. <laughs> listen, Linda. <laughs> Having been a lifelong member of the Five Foot Five Club since I was about 15, I can tell you that the correct answer is tall enough unless there are things on high shelves. <laughs> You are correct. I don't use the high shelves in my kitchen (laughs) unless there's something I don't need, and then those go on the high shelves. This is legitimately true. Most of the high shelves in her kitchen are empty. Yep. (laughs) No, the best part is that, so Leo does all our dishes. That's how he pays his rent. Yes. And whenever he cleans Miranda's specific Olaf mug, he puts it on the highest shelf possible. And I can't reach it. And it's the funniest thing ever. It's not yeah. funny to me. It's hilarious. So, uh, but Kaylin, he, he says, but also, I'm going to say five foot two. You're, you're close. It's five foot one. Well, you've said like five foot one and a half. You've said five foot one and three quarters. It, probably five foot one and a half would be closer. So it's, I mean, it, it's it been a while since I've actually like paid attention to how tall I am. So Kaylin says Miranda is shorter than me. I think she is five foot one. So you are both correct as far as I'm and concerned. And then Tracy said I was four foot eleven. Tracy! <laughs> I'm not that short. I'm short. Believe me, I'm short. Sometimes I forget how short I am, and then I take a picture next to a normal person, and then I'm like, wow, I am short. I am short. But, there, it, this is weird, but we have people in our life that are shorter. Yes. Like uh, Jalen. Yeah, Jalen, Leo's girlfriend. Yes. Shorter. Who is actually like four foot eleven. Yeah. <laughs> And weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, right. she's very petite. Okay, what color is Christy's hair other than natural? And 
Bob goes, Teal! And yes. it's great. Correct. Actually, he said, that. Which, yeah. thank you. It does. It is you not. You need to get it redone. I know. I wanted to do it on Saturday, and then I died. If and when we go to Dublin, redo it before we go to Dublin. Oh, hey, hey. Well, I want to do it before Pride, though. Then do it both. I don't need to do it twice in a month. It's not going to be a month if you do one now. It'll be once one... per month. Whatever. I'm going to do it soon. Okay. Right now, it's like a sickly shade of green. What's that lyric? Oh, it's yeah, from yeah, the yeah. AJR song, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's from a different song that AJR then partnered on later. Dyed my hair blue. It came out a seasick like sort of green. green yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's me. Hi. Hello. Okay. How many times has Christy gone to bartending school? And Bob goes, um, twice. Also, bartending is a great skill to have, but a damn hard career. Note how it is not my career. Yes. Caitlin says, I can't remember if she went twice or if Jay went twice. One of them for sure went twice. It was me. Yeah. It was you. Christy went twice. She went once with an ex-coworker we used to have, and then she went with Jay when right. he went to bartending. And Jay made it a career. Yes. <laughs> He's actually so really good at it, and he really likes it. Yeah. So. He has so much fun with it. Yes. I think this is Though my- it has been a very dramatic career for him. Yes. Yes, but I think he is way happier in the hospitality career than in the criminal justice career. I agree. It's burned him a few times, but yes, he still seems to enjoy it. So as long as he still enjoys it. And then the fourth question, which I think is the my, my favorite answer from Bob, is how many siblings does Christy have? And he goes, well, there's Liesl, Frederick, Lucia, Kurt, Brigida, Marta, and Greddy. You know what that's from, right? Yeah, it's The Sound of Music. So that's what, seven? Oh, and Jay and Leo, so nine. <laughs> Jay and Leo are the correct answer. There's two. Yes. Miranda's basically my sister. Caitlin's like my weird sister-daughter hybrid. I don't know what's happening there. She has since left the room so i can't ask her how she feels on the matter yeah i feel like um i'm her very overprotective older sister where i'm like please don't do that that's unsafe yeah and she goes "Ah, it'll be fine i'm like but it's not it's not safe it's not you shouldn't do that your brain isn't fully developed yet (laughs) (laughs) ours just reached fully developed hey we're going on two years okay i think we're all right (laughs) I think we can make good decisions. I'm sitting in a happy medium. <laughs> you have Nick's a brain? Almost 30. <laughs> Nick's almost there. 30. Hey, shut up. <laughs> Nick's closer I'm not to 30. That close yet. I'm You're not, closer. I'm closer, but I'm not that close yet. Okay, so I keep forgetting that I'm not already 27. Mm-hmm. I'm 26, turning 27. This. So my brain's going, you're turning 28, but I'm not turning isn't it, 28, isn't turning it 27. Funny how, like, when we were kids, like, age mattered a lot, and you knew exactly how old you were, and now as you get older, you're like, I... I don't remember anymore. I don't want to know. It's, it's kind of weird how like all of a sudden, like, like I know when my birthday is, but I'm like, what, what age am I turning this year? I don't oh, remember. I got to count backward now. I, I got to count backward now. Hold on. I got to do some math. Okay. Do okay. We, did we cover all the questions? Is there more? No, that's that it? it. Okay. Uh, let me double check and make sure there's not like a listener question or something. There's not. Sure. I checked. Okay, okay, cool. So that's it. Friendos. Thanks was, so much. That one was way more chaotic than you probably realized. If you go listen to the blooper reel, I'm sure we added a whole extra half an hour of content. So sorry. So sorry, Paige. But, but that means you should be a patron and you, check out the blooper reel. You should be a patron. Go check out the blooper reel because it's great. There's if you're so ever, much good stuff in there. If you're ever depressed and you need a good laugh, the blooper reel is quality content. Um, Some of the that happened during this episode, oh my God. There is, okay, so I was editing the Miranda episode the other day and like there's an entire like eight minute tangent i had to cut out of the episode that i was like can we please get back to my episode please Mm -hmm. where did how did we get here how did we get where did we go so if you ever want to see it there's like where did we go goof ups and outtakes that 
come that make the blooper reel. You have to be a five dollar patron to be able to hear the blooper reel. So if you would like to do that, you should sign up for Patreon, which you can right. find all the information for on our website, or you can go to patreon.com slash podcast, and it'll tell you all the information for that. That being said, if you didn't get merch yet, we're sorry. We're do- we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, Paige has currently been indisposed, and they are allowed to be because it happens. Vacation! So, and other stuff. Like, but just so you're aware, if you have signed up recently and you haven't gotten your stuff yet, you will get your stuff. Things will happen eventually. If it's we'll a huge problem, it. just let us know, but you should be getting your stuff soon. If you order ducks, you should also be getting your ducks soon. So Yes. And again, if you have if you ordered ducks and you haven't received them, like you ordered them a year ago and you haven't received them, <laughs> yeah. they got sent back to us because we have two people who the stuff got sent back to us. One, because there wasn't a custom form and another because the address wasn't completed and we don't know who it is because USPS put a giant sticker on top of the person's name so we don't know who it is so yep. if you signed up to get ducks and you don't currently have ducks you need to let us know or re-sign up to get ducks and we will go ahead and do that for you if you have any questions you should check out the listener question spot on our website you can ask us questions uh, really about anything i mean people really? have asked about episodes but you don't have to ask about episodes you can ask about anything us caitlin page you can anybody. Ask, ask about anything anything and if you want to tell us a story, like you have a very interesting story, whether it's aviation related or not, you should go ahead and tell that to us on our listener stories page. And you can be in a listener story of the month, which we haven't recorded in a while, but we probably will uh, relatively soon because we have probably enough to make a full episode. So cool. social media manager, Caitlin here, check your socials. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. We hope you have a safe and healthy week and we'll catch you all next week. Go Nuggets. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.